important for us here as we kind of think about this this series, and it's entitled Afterlife. And um, and uh, uh, last week I asked you guys a question. I said, how many of us like tests, right? We we did a fun little uh, thing with tests. Somebody liked tests, somebody disliked tests, and all that sort of stuff. And and the conclusion of that was most of us don't like tests, right? Uh, but a lot of us, or actually all of us, like what is tested, right? You want your doctor to be tested before he operates on you. You want the medicine that goes to your system to be tested on somebody else before it goes into your system, right? We, we like things that are tested. You want your brakes to be tested, right? Um, and so we like what is tested, even though we don't like tests ourselves, because what is tested can be trusted. How many of you know that? What is tested can be trusted. And so we talked that sometimes we think about life as just the final test when I stand before God uh, in the afterlife, getting ready for heaven. And, uh, and there's a final test that I got to know the answer to. And that's what we talked about last week as we examined uh, the, the earlier part of chapter five, where it talks about the day of the Lord coming. We don't know the time. We don't know the season, but we know he's coming. And so therefore, we do need to be ready. We need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt. We need to know with confidence that we would stand before God. And he would allow us into heaven, not because of anything good we have done, not because uh, our, our, our parents were believers, not because we gave to a church offering, not because we we're church members or we were good people. But the only hope that we have to stand before God on Judgment Day is Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's what we say goes in the Scantron, right? J-E-S-U-S. But then I also said there's a daily test. So, so some people just think, right, you may have heard this statement before. Some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that statement before? And then some people have said, well, the opposite is true. Some of y'all are so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. And I don't know that those things need to be in competition because when you're truly heavenly minded, it affects how you live today. When you're thinking about eternity, it impacts what you do on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And so uh, the question I want to ask today is, uh, what is eternal life? And, and, and the title of today's message is Eternal Life Now. But what is eternal life? That's the question that I want us to think about. What is eternal life? Because a lot of people think about eternal life. That begins later and, and goes on for eternity. That's eternal life. But how many of you know that Jesus came, as it tells us in the Bible, John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses is, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus, and I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, abundant life. How many of you know that eternal life begins right now? Eternal life begins right now. We begin living with eternity in mind. We live with an eternal purpose, an eternal perspective today. One of the Another verse is John 17, 3, where I love uh, this verse. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you. See, eternal life is really not just about heaven and all the things we're going to do there, but eternal life, the greatest part about heaven, the greatest part about eternal life now is knowing Christ Jesus as our Savior, the only true God. And, um, and, and that's what eternal life is. So we get to live that every day. There is a song written by, uh, I guess you call them a, a rock band, uh, called Switchfoot. And, uh, and, and he wrote a song kind of uh, dealing with this same situation, dealing with his uh, struggle, understanding um, his conversion experience, how he became a believer, and, um, and the song is entitled Afterlife. And, um, and, and really, it goes uh, like this, if I can grab the, the correct lyrics for you. Um, he says, 
talking about how he came to know Christ. He says, I've tasted fire. I've tasted fire. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit. I've tasted fire and I'm ready to come alive. I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm all right. But I'm ready now. And this is the key part of the song. He says, I'm not waiting for the afterlife. In other words, I'm not waiting to, to, to get my life right. I'm not ready to make it. I'm not waiting to make a difference. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. I'm going to start living for Christ today. And I'll make a difference today. And then he goes on to say, I let it burn inside of me the way the sunlight burns my skin, the way I feel inside, the way the day begins. But I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. And he goes, every day the world is made. Every day a chance to change. Sometimes I feel the same. And I wonder why. I wonder why I would wait till I die to come alive. I wonder why I would wait till I die to come alive, but I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. Maybe you're familiar with the, the movie uh, Braveheart with Mel Gibson, where in that movie William Wallace says this. He says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. And so as believers, God has called us to eternal life, and we begin living for eternity. Now we begin living lives that make a difference, lives that have impact, lives of purpose, and eternal life now. And so that's what we find here as, as Paul wraps up with the Thessalonians in chapter 5. This is where he's kind of pointing them to. They've been talking about the afterlife and, and, and the coming of Christ and heaven and hell and eternity and all those sorts of things. And then he says, but this impacts how you live today. And so how do we live with our mind on eternity? A couple thoughts here as we work our way back through the scriptures. Point number one, abundant life. What does it look like now? It looks like this. It flourishes in leadership. We're going to unpack this in just a second, but key, the key word here is, is going to be flourishing that we'll see throughout this passage, that it flourishes in a bunch of different aspects as we navigate this texture, but it flourishes first in leadership and relationships to leaders uh, amongst others. The idea of flourishing means growing, sustaining, and, and not just existing, right, but actually living. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting till I die. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. And so track with me these uh, uh, couple of verses here. We're in verse 12. It says this. Verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And, 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 he, and he goes on in verse 13, And to esteem them very highly, in love because of their work. Be at peace among them. And, uh, and, and notice what he says there. And, and in fact, let's just back up and kind of take uh, this piece by piece here in verse 12. and Go back up uh, and look at verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor. Notice the first word there. Where, where do these, these leaders labor at? It says, among you. And, 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 and people say, what is he talking about here? He's talking about church leaders. He's talking about the elders. The deacons, perhaps, uh, you know, if they had uh, community group leaders, he's talking about the leadership of the church, and and the pastors, the elders, the deacons, they are to be among the people, not just distant figureheads, right? Uh, not they are leaders that are embedded within the congregation. They are among. They work hard. They're part of the local body. They're they're connected with the people there, so they they're among the people. So flourishing leaders are involved in the gospel community. And so this is a, a challenge for, for myself and for all of our other leaders uh, here as well, that we are in gospel community, not apart from it, not aloof from it. 
but they are present. They are accessible to the people. They are the leaders among you. They share the gospel. And as we saw, I don't know if you remember this, but at the beginning of Thessalonians there, we had, we had you mark some verses there. It's not going to be on the screen, but, but if you look at the first uh, chapter there, uh, he, he says, man, he says, we, we, we delighted to share not only the gospel with you, but we delighted to share our very lives. Do y'all remember that? Some of you were here. We, we shared our lives. So we weren't just there sharing information, but we shared our lives with you because that's how we are as leaders. We're among the people. So the leaders are known leaders who, who recognize public ministry is also a personal ministry. They're hard workers. They're known as laborers in the church. They work in preaching and teaching and, and serving. But then notice the second part of that. He says, who labor among you. But then notice what else it says. And are what? Over you. And so over you. Now this is a distinction. This is where leaders must lead. Right? And, and, and leaders, the elders specifically are leading in the word and leading in vision and leadership and direction and, and the discipline of the church. But how many of you know that both of these things need to be present as well? You've got to be among and over, because if a church, and this happens in many churches, right? They, they focus on one over the other sometimes, right? If you have leaders who are over the people but not among them, well, it doesn't provide adequate care and concern for the church, does it? Because they're separated from it. They're far off. Or they're, they're just bigwigs who sit on the stage and they don't ever, you know, uh, talk to people. That's not how Jesus did ministry. And the flourishing of the church doesn't become flourishing. It becomes trampling as the leaders trample over the people. In fact, the scriptures tell us and tell the elders to not be domineering or not to lord it over others. And so if you have them over but not among, you, you create a lopsided view. But also, if you have them just among and not over, then you have another lopsided view, don't you? Leadership that is among does not provide clear and compelling direction when people are not willing to follow the leaders. Leadership becomes ineffective and flourishing turns into wilting inside of the community of faith. And instead, the leaders don't lead. Instead, they become led by the church and by individuals seeking to avoid conflict, seeking to please people. In the process, they lead no one. And so that doesn't mean that they don't care. So you've got to have both of those things. I remember one time I talked to another pastor and he said, no, I, I wouldn't do that. In fact, we were going to do something similar here. You were like, what are you talking about? We were going to do at our trunk and treat, we were going to do a dunk booth. And, um, and, and they wanted to dunk the pastor. And, uh, and I said, y'all know it's late October and um, I don't think this pastor wants to catch pneumonia. And uh, they said, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, we're going to do a pie in the face. And I was like, all right, that's cool. We can do a pie in the face. And I, I didn't have any problems with that. And uh, it, we ended up not doing it just because some other things happened. I promise I'll take a pie in the face um, as long as it's chocolate peanut butter pie. And um, it's got to be something good in there uh, that's, that's worth it. But I remember one time I had a pastor tell me, he said, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't do that. I don't do that because um, I'm the pastor. And he says, the pastor, you got to be different. And I know what he meant. And his heart was, was, was right. He was just trying to say, people should have a respect for you and, and they shouldn't cross those sorts of lines. And, and that was fine for him to feel that way. Uh, but, but sometimes there is this line as if pastors are not people too. And, and so again, there, there is this understanding that as a church and as the community of faith uh, grows and, and lives uh, together with an eye on eternity, that, that they're among, but they're also 
over. And so you have those things balanced there. And then it says the church is to uh, love them. Look at the rest of the, the verse there, right? Um, so they're, uh, they're over you, they're among you. And, and notice it says over you in the, in the Lord, right? Over you in the Lord and who admonish you. That, that means challenge you, right? And so that has the very idea that, listen, sometimes as your pastor, I got to tell you the truth. I got to step on your toes. And, and if a pastor never does that, man, he's not leading. He's not shepherding well. If the elders never do that, they're, they're not doing that well. And, and man, I thank God for uh, the, the church family here and the way we relate to one another. And, um, and if you look at the next verse, verse 13, it says to esteem them, to honor them, right? To esteem them highly in what? In love. How are they respected? They're respected in love. Why? Because there's a relationship there, right? And also because of their work. And then it says, be at peace among yourselves. And so it shouldn't be that it's, oh, the elders versus the congregation or the elders versus the deacons or the deacons versus the church or the board versus this. It's like, man, this is a family. And, and, and we get along together. The tone here is, is brotherly love. And I just, I just want to thank God for this church because, man, we've experienced that here. I know it's not like that at every church. And, uh, and I'm not saying that we're perfect, or I'm certainly not perfect, but man, there, there is a love, there, there is a, a feeling of family here at Plaza, and, and I thank God for that. But, but here's what, what we need to remember. Number one is that you may get, especially uh, in a military town, as we have folks get transferred and out, you may go to another church one day, and you need to pre be prepared to know how to relate to your leaders at that church. And you need to know the expectation for those leaders. And so that's true. But also, I may not be here one day. There may be a whole new generation. There'll be a generation of young folks even way younger than me. And they need to know how to relate to their leaders. That their leaders, they need to esteem them highly in love. And that the leaders need to be over them, but also among them. And they need to submit joyfully. And so there is peace and, and harmony, right, in the community. And so the community of faith flourishes as they look towards the afterlife when we know how to relate to our leaders. And now this is not just true in the church body, but it's also true out in our workforce, right? It's true out in, in the government. It's true with police officers. We need to esteem people in authority. And, and the Bible has a lot to say, and I'm not going to unpack all of it today. But in many uh, different areas of the Bible, it talks about obey those in authority over you, obey the government and the leaders and the governors. And so we may disagree with them and their policies, but we're still to respect them and honor them. And, 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 and that's true for all of us. We respect those who serve in our community, the police officers. So, man, that's how flourishing in the earth happens, right, when we're living with an eye on eternity. But, man, if people are always at odds against those in leadership and, and there is constant fighting, it's going to create, man, craziness. And, again, I'm not saying there are times that not to... Uh, civilly disobey. We find that even in the scriptures where, where they asked them to stop preaching the gospel. They asked them to stop preaching the gospel. And, um, and uh, Peter, I believe, said to me, he says, you, you judge whether, it, whether it's right in your own eyes for us to obey God or to obey you. And so there is times uh, for us to respectfully disagree with those in authority, but it happens in the context of love and respect. And so there are times for that to happen. And so point number one is this, as we're gaining with an eye on the afterlife, we're living for eternity now is that, man, we flourish in leadership. We flourish with our leaders. We understand and respect them. Point number two is this, is that we flourish in community. Is that we flourish in community. That's with one another. 
you know, we like to do this because um, that's just how we are here at this church. Go ahead and, and reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them, and say, I'm glad you're here today. Yeah, tell them I'm glad you're here today. It's good, it's good to talk in church. I know some churches you can't talk in church. I'm glad you're here today. Man, the community of, of faith, the, the, the people of God. And as I was thinking about it today, and as, as I think about this church, and, and again, just the beauty of so many different people coming from different backgrounds and different ages, and I, I just feel so privileged to, to, to be a part of this church, and, and even more privileged to be your pastor, but it's just sweetness to know all the different stories of people's lives and how God is working, and there is flourishing that happens within the community, and so this is how we treat one another, right? This is how we treat one another. Look at the rest of the verses. They're beginning in verse 14. He goes on. He says this, right? Verse Verse 14, he says, and we urge you, we urge you, brothers, that means he's talking to the members of the church, brothers, the believers that are part of that church. This is a church plant at Thessalonica that he planted, and, um, and he had to leave, and so he's sending them this letter. Do we urge you, brothers, and then watch the things that he tells them to do there, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. And to be patient with them all. In verse 15 it says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to who? Everyone. And so how we live in gospel community with each other. And again, he's talking to the members. He's not talking to the leadership of the church anymore. He's talking to the members. He's saying, these are the things I want you to do for one another. Notice what he says here. First, admonish, if you, as you look back in verse 14, admonish the who? The idol, right? You know what idol means. Just sitting there, not doing anything. Some translations will call this the undisciplined or the disorderly. Admonish means sometimes people need a little bit of challenge. And that's okay to challenge people when you love them. Now, you don't go around like you're the judge and jury of everybody. But, but sometimes when people are not doing anything, you've got to challenge them in love. And, and if you were familiar with uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we went through uh, uh, most of last year and a part of earlier this year, uh, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about before you, you start talking to other people, you got, you got a little something in your eye. You got a little eye disease. Before you start challenging and admonishing other people, uh, you got to make sure you don't, it's not pink eye, right? It's not pink eye. It's, it's called plank eye. And he says, before you try to get the speck, before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye, Make sure that plank is out of your eye first. And so before you go around trying to judge everybody and their mama, you need to make sure you got the plank out of your eye. But that doesn't mean we don't ever admonish one another. Some people think, well, I, that means I just never say anything to anybody. Listen, I need to be admonished. You need to, we all need to be admonished. There are things that God is still working on me with. And I got some rough parts. And, and you come along like some sandpaper and you, and you just help rub that out when you do it the way God intended. So sometimes you've got to admonish the idle or the disorderly, the undisciplined, or some people call them lazy people, right? you got to admonish them. you got to challenge them. But notice there's all different ways to, re to, to relate to all different types of people. Now there's another type of person that says, encourage who? Encourage the faint-hearted. Man, these are the people in the church. These are the people in your life and your family. And, and they're not lazy, but they, they may look lazy. Because if you're faint-hearted, your heart is weak, and you... You just can't do it anymore, and you're just struggling. And, and sometimes if we just judge two people, you don't know whether they're faint-hearted or whether they're lazy. That's why you've got to get to know people in the community. You can't just make those judgments. 
But as you get to know them, as you spend time with them, as you invite them out to lunch, as you have them over your house, as you do things with them as the, the household of faith, and you begin to know, man, they're not lazy. They're just really, really tired. They've been caring for a loved one day in and, and day out. They, they're, they're, they're a single parent. They're, they're doing all this sort of stuff. They are faint-hearted. And you know what they need? They need some encouragement. Hey, you can do it. You can do it. God is working in you. And, and, and they need people to encourage them in the scriptures too. Maybe even as, as some, as, as many in our congregation are dealing with illnesses, as cancer comes, as, as difficult health diagnosis comes, as age comes and is crippling the, the life and the vibrancy that was in many of our members here, right? And they just need encouragement to say, God is still working in your situation. I need you to know Romans 8, 28, right? For we know that God is working all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for you, and he's working this for your good. You can trust. And we point them to the scriptures, right? We encourage the faint-hearted. And then the next category of people, right? We help the who? We help the weak. Reach over, touch your neighbor, tell them I'm weak sometimes. That was hard. That was hard for some of y'all to get that out. Some of y'all looked at your neighbor like, nope, not saying that. Just looking the other way. I'm just going to look at the wall. Then I saw some of y'all stuttering. You were like, I'm, I'm, I'm weak. We, we all get weak. We all have weaknesses. I appreciate Lindsay's prayer for us. Just that we're broken people, right, in need of God's healing. And we all have weaknesses. And, and, and man, it, it, these happen in all different ways. Some of us, just the way we're wired. Right? Some of us are just wired with a different type of personality. We can't bear some. Sometimes you look at somebody and you're like, man, look at all they do. They're, they're up at 5 a.m. And they, and they work all day. They work at the night. They don't go to bed till 2 a.m. And they do this and they do that and they do that. They're just so much more spiritual than me. And they're just wired different. Or they have some addictions, which you know, could be either one. And Because um, and I wrestle with that. I just like to go. I don't like to sit down uh, a whole lot. But, but that's because I know sometimes if I sit down, i got to start thinking about things that I really got to deal with in my heart. How many of you know that's true? And, 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 and you know, man, we, we don't like to deal with things in the heart, man. It's just easier to keep hammering away at something. Just keep the shit moving, right? And I don't want to deal with what's going on in here because that, that frightens me like uh, no end. And, um, and so, man, but we give practical help to people who are weak. Some people, they, they, they don't know how to succeed in one area. And so they need some, they, they need some practical help. Maybe they need to know um, just something as simple as this. Maybe somebody grew up in a household, they didn't know how to cook for their family. And maybe somebody from their community group, somebody from the church says, man, let me show you how to make some meals. Let me show you how to, how to do this. And you're like, oh, thank you. Man, because I, I didn't grow up with parents that did this. Man, we just, we just did chicken nuggets and, and french fries. You know, just you know, frozen chicken nuggets french fries every night of the week. And uh, that's how we grew up. And you're like, man, let me show you how to make some homemade mac and cheese. And, um, and um, you know, let me show you how to make something here. And uh, especially as it comes up to Thanksgiving time, you know. I mean, you know, people are like, I don't know if I know how to make all that stuff. And so... It's something just as simple as that. Maybe it's something as simple as watching kids, as, as some of you do here, and you help people out who are in need of, of their kids being watched. That's, that's a help there for somebody who has a weakness. There are so many things. Man, I, I was, we were watching some old videos. We came across some old videos in my house. We were doing some cleaning in the garage, had some old tapes, some high eight, eight millimeter tapes that we had of my kids growing up. And, uh, and the first one was of our oldest, Lydia, and, um, and my second uh, daughter, Josie. She was like, where are all the tapes of me? You know, you know, for the first one, you got five billion pictures, 
for the second one, you're like, I think we got two pictures of you. There, I mean, you're here. There's proof you exist. Hey, but listen, I did have tape of Josie. All right, I did good. I did good. I didn't have near as much as the first. We were going through some of that stuff. We were looking back at how we just lived back in the good old days and apartment days, all that sort of stuff. But I remember, and I, I appreciate it. I see the Jacksons here today. But I remember Walt Jackson and Meredith Jackson. They came over. Man, they helped us paint when we got in our house. And I appreciate it. I hadn't forgot about that. And I, they also helped us, man. We, we, were so, we, we were so broke, right? We were, we were what you call po, right? You heard that before? We couldn't afford the two extra letters for, for the other O and the other R. I mean, we just didn't have two pennies to rub together. And, um, and Walt Meredith came over and said, man, let, let's look over your budget. And, uh, and our budget was good and, and clean. But they were like, hey, you know, one thing that helped us is, man, when you, when you, you pay for something and, and you just round it up. They taught us how to round up in our checkbook. And, and so it, it, it didn't seem in our minds like we had extra money. But then when you looked at your bank account, you did because you've been rounding up the whole time. And I was like, man, that's a genius idea. And that wasn't hyper spiritual, but they came over to help us paint. They sat down with this kind of little oval kitchen table. They were looking at that kitchen table in the videos last night. Man, that was a way to help us. And it was such a blessing. I remember that. I never, never forgot that, Jackson. Appreciate y'all. And, uh, and so many other people that have helped us along the way. And so that's, what, that's how we flourish together as a community. Amen? And so look at the next uh, part of the verse there, back, back in, in verse 14. Those are certain types of people now in verse 15. And then he goes on to say, be pa- oh, still in verse 14. I apologize. I had one little phrase here. Be, be patient with them who? Oh, all people are going to grow at different levels. Some people are going to annoy you and get on your nerves. They're going to say, why do I have to go to church with that person? Some of you say, why, is, why did I marry that person? Why is my sister that person? Why, why is my neighbor that person? Why is my coworker that person? And God is saying, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Maybe you heard uh, the cute little poem about patience. It goes like this. Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman and never in a man. Is that true? <laughs> and um, I told this story before, but there's there's an ancient Hebrew story about uh, uh, a man named Abraham. And uh, as he was sitting outside his tent one evening, he saw an old man weary from age and, and weary from his journey coming toward him. So he rushed out to greet this old man and, and he invited him into his tent. It was being hospitable to him. And he washed his feet and he gave him some food and he got some tea on for him. And the old man immediately began eating without saying a prayer or without blessing the food. And so Abraham said, hey, 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 don't you worship God? And the old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed and angry. And he grabbed the old man by the shoulders and he threw him out of his tent out into the cold air of the night. And when the old man had departed, God called his friend Abraham over and he said, Abraham, Abraham, what's what's going on? What happened? And Abraham proudly said, man, I, I forced him out because he did not worship you or even give you thanks for the food that he had. I showed him. And God said, listen, I have suffered patiently with this man these 80 years. Even though he dishonors me, could you not endure him for one night? It was like, boom. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Everybody's at a different level and a different pace and so be patient with us used to be a song we'd sing here with our academy kids and it goes goes a little something like this says god's still working on me right you know it it took him just a week to make the sun and the moon jupiter and mars 
uh, all this sort of stuff. But but be patient because God's still working on it. I think I, I butchered it because I'm sure there's more rhymes in there than I just gave it. So, uh, But if you know it, uh, you can grab this mic. And, um, but be patient because God is still working on me, making me who I'm supposed to be. And then as we look at verse 15, he reminds us, right? Don't pay back evil with evil, right? Verse 15, don't pay, pay back evil for evil. Man, the temptation is when someone wounds us at work, in our family, in the church, in our neighborhood, we want to repay evil with evil. But, but believers know we don't do this. Because why? We're looking with our eye on eternity. And those people are going to be accountable for God. And God says, look, trust me to be their judge. You don't have to be their judge and jury. So he says, don't repay evil with evil. But then he says, always seek to do what? To do good to one another and to who? And to everyone. And so, man, you know, you know how we could sum up this whole section, right? I, this is amazing here. But, but what he's been talking about is leadership, and he's been talking about people. And so he says, these are, these are the horizontal relationships. These are the horizontal relationships. He says, hey, this is how Jesus sums it up. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And he says, this is the second most important commandment. And now he's going to move on to the next section of the scripture as we live with an eye on eternity. And he's going to talk about our vertical relationship, our relationship with God, which is, man, how do we love God with all of our heart? We love people and we love God. And that's the most basic commands. Those are the most important commands that God has given us as Christians. And so number three, you can write this down, is that we learn how to flourish, number three, in God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means God's plan, that he's in control over all things. Every leaf that falls, every bird, every uh, seagull that hits your car when you're on the HRBT, which that happened to us. We were coming back from Williamsburg this week, and a, and a seagull ran into us. I didn't run into him, you see. Um, he left a crack in my bumper and a feather. And... Um, God is in charge of all those things, all those details. He's in charge of your sickness. He's in charge of your health. He's in charge of your parents and your grandparents and your sisters and your brothers and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. God is sovereign. And so, man, we take courage from his sovereignty. And so as we learn how to flourish, right? Hey, let's just be honest, right? Sometimes as hard as we try, the relationships horizontally don't go well. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, let's just be honest, right? Some of y'all are not looking forward to Thanksgiving. Because you know who's going to be there. You're looking for a way to make it happen quicker. Okay? Some of you uh, know how to get a timetable going here. You're like, all right, look, we're staying at your parents' house an hour on the dot. All right? I don't care where we're at in the meal. We're getting in and we're getting out. Like, you've got a plan on how to get out of there. Because you know the conversation is going to go this way. You know they're going to say, hey, you guys haven't children yet, or they're going to say these sorts of things to you. They're going to do all the things that families do. And so maybe sometimes the horizontal relationships are not working well. How do you flourish and live abundant life, live eternal life now? Because you, you flourish because you know God is sovereign. So even when my relationships aren't right, I can be of good courage because I know God's in control. So even if my family is a hot mess and dysfunction, all this stuff, I know that God is in control. Amen. Notice what it, it says there in verse 16, what a, a just tremendous verse. It's short, it's sweet, it says, Rejoice only when things are good. Rejoice only when you get your way. Rejoice only when the kids behave. Rejoice only when the meal is cooked perfectly. Rejoice only when your bank account has some money in it. Rejoice only when whatever. Fill in the blank. 
No, the Bible says rejoice. How often? Always. How can a person do that? There's no way that can happen. When you know that God is in control, when you know that he is sovereign, you can rejoice. I like the word rejoice. It's not just saying be joyful. It's saying, hey, you know how like you got to renew your membership, right? Sometimes you got to renew your joy because the joy level starts getting down. We start getting our eyes on the things of the earth. We start getting our eyes off of Christ and our joy starts to dwindle. And he says, hey, look back at me and rejoice. Look back at all that I've done. Look at my sovereign. Trust my promises. Trust that I'm in control and rejoice. Re-up your joy. Not in yourself, not you fill it up yourself, but in Christ, right? You rejoice because, man, it, it gets dwindling, right? So he says, rejoice always. And I love that. Rejoice always. That could be a whole sermon. Verse 17, pray without what? Pray without ceasing. Does this mean you just walk around like this? Like, dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I'm about to go to this mass. Oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to bump into you, right? No, no, no. Man, how many of you know that you can just pray under your breath as you're walking down the hallway, as you're serving customers, as you're working at your desk? You can just say, Lord, help me right now. Lord, refocus my mind right now. As you're driving, okay, I don't encourage you to pray with your eyes closed. And um, you might hit more than a seagull. I mean, you just, you just breath prayers. You can pray all throughout the day. You don't have to stop and pause. You can just say, man, that's a great prayer. Lord, just help me with this right now at your desk. Lord, I'm about to choke this kid right now. Please help me. I'm going to lay hands on them. I'm going to lay hands on them. In Jesus' name. Right? No, and, and you just offer those breath prayers. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. As we're here preparing for Thanksgiving, right? Give thanks in all circumstances. What? Come on. Come on. Somebody was smoking something when they wrote this in the Bible. There's no way we can... Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice what the rest of the verse says there. For this is the what? The will of God concerning you, or this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. Again, we talked about this earlier in our chapter. We talked about purity and holiness was the will of God. And a lot of times some of us wonder, what is the will of God? Does he want me to take this job? Does he want me to marry this person? Does he want me to get this car, get this house? And a lot of times God's like, you can make a bunch of those choices. I'm more concerned with your holiness. I'm more concerned with your attitude. Give thanks. Are you giving thanks? That's the most important will. Give thanks. Notice it doesn't say for all circumstances. So it's not like, praise the Lord, we got cancer. He's not saying praise the Lord for it. He's saying praise the Lord in it. Give thanks in it, in the middle of the situation. Because I know that even as as Psalm 23 says, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Bible says our fear, fear no evil. Why? Because you, Christ, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. God is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. And so I can give thanks in all circumstances. So how thankful are you? Can I ask you that question? No, truly, really? How thankful are you? Do, do you keep a list of things you're thankful for? If you don't, may I encourage you to start? Just writing down things. Write it down. I'm telling you, when you write things down, it there's something about how God has wired us. I got a pen with me. Um, and uh, when you write things down, it, it just begins to flesh that out. And may I encourage you to keep a thankful list? I know sometimes maybe you got the habit of going around Thanksgiving and, and saying one thing, everybody be thankful. Don't, don't just do that once a year. 
you, you just you just need once a year to remind yourself what you're thankful for. No, praise God that 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 we have a national holiday that helps us pause and and remind us of that. But man, as believers, we we need to do this every day. Lord, what am I thankful? And just I woke up this morning. Man, I have a roof over my head. I'm healthy today. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm a little slower than I used to be, but I can still get up. Right, and just go through the list. We've got heat. We've got whatever. You know, and just go through that list. Give thanks in all circumstances and find what you can thank God for in the middle of your trials. As many believers in this house have, are undergoing even trials right now, and I've heard them give thanks and praise to God in the middle of their storm. As we sang last week, they will raise a hallelujah, amen, in the middle of it all. And so, and so point number three is that we flourish in God's sovereignty. We rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. And then, fourthly, and we'll wrap this up, we flourish. Number four, how do we flourish with an eye on eternity? We flourish in God's Word and with His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We flourish in God's Word and His Holy Spirit. Man, how can I make it even when the horizontal relationships aren't working? When, when maybe stuff with even leadership isn't right? When stuff within my family isn't right? I can know that God is sovereign and in control. And I can take, I can flourish in His Word. Because that's where every promise is. God has made promises to me, and I can flourish in His Spirit. His Spirit gives me the strength I need to face day by day. Amen? And so even if things on the outside are not happening right, I know that God is with me, and He will strengthen me. And so look at verse 19. He says this. He says, first of all, He says, don't quench the Spirit. That's kind of an interesting word there. Maybe you've heard the word quench like with a Gatorade commercial, right? quenches your thirst. This is actually a word because the, the, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as, as a fire or, or flame, and the Spirit is, is represented sometimes as a flame. And, and when you quench a flame, maybe some of you know this, when you quench a flame, what do you do? You put it out. You pour water on it. And he's saying, don't quench the Spirit. The Spirit is like a fire raging inside of you, growing, warming you, giving you love giving you perseverance, giving you courage, giving you hope in the midst of trial. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Don't quench it. Well, the question is, how do we quench it, right? We most often quench it by disobedience. When the Holy Spirit says, hey, do this, love your coworker right now, and you say, not doing that. Not that guy. You must have got the wrong coworker, God. You know what that guy said to me last week? You know what you do? You just quench the Holy Spirit. You just douse that fire. So that fire isn't as strong as anymore. And then you know what happens? When your kids are going crazy and, and, and you should be loving to them, and, and, but you only got a little bit of that flame in you to give you power, you, you start trusting in your own self. You start trusting in your own strength, and then you go crazy. You don't have the strength to get you through because you've been quenching the Spirit by sin. You've been quenching the Spirit by disobedience. And so don't quench the Spirit. We believe in this church. We believe in the Holy Spirit. I feel like, uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of the third wheel of the Trinity. I don't know it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we baptize these precious people today. And the Holy Spirit gets left out a whole lot. But how does Jesus dwell in our hearts? Maybe people you, you heard growing up say, well, Jesus comes into your heart. Well, Jesus comes to live in your heart through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's actually the Holy Spirit living inside of you, technically. And so we don't mess with people all, uh, you know, technically have to correct them all the time. But it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and He gives us power and strength 
and we were having a conversation with some friends about the Holy Spirit and, and does the Holy Spirit make you do crazy things and maybe run up and down an aisle or, or speak in tongues or shout or something like that. And, and maybe that's how the Holy Spirit works. But most importantly, the Holy Spirit gives you courage when you're afraid, gives you faith when you, when you lack faith, <laughs> gives, gives you strength to face the day, gives you love when you'd rather hate. That's when you look through in fact, when you look through what the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says are the gifts of the Spirit, maybe you're familiar with this, the fruits of the Spirit, they are this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it says are the fruits of the Spirit. So someone who's filled with the Spirit is not saying going to do weird things in a church. They're going to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. So are those things that work in our lives? We don't quench the Spirit. So don't quench the Spirit. Then look at, at verse 20. So we walk with the Spirit. Then verse 20 says this. says, do not despise prophecies. But verse 21, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. What does it mean by this? And sometimes prophecies have a couple different words. Some, again, some people think prophecies are like, hey, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to prophesy over somebody. And uh, I'm going to tell you about your future. And I'm going to speak the future over you, right? And um, and and sometimes there are prophecies that are future oriented, but I would say that's five to ten percent of the time in the Bible. If and that could be generous, prophecies are future. Prophecy really just means foretelling. It means speaking the word of God. It's it's very similar to telling someone the truth according to God's word. And so that's really what prophecy means. He says, don't treat prophecies with contempt. In other words, man. When it comes time to hear the Word of God, listen to it. Listen to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Hear it. He's saying, don't treat prophecies with contempt. How many of you know, and I know we got some kids in here. Shout out to the kids, right? Sometimes when you're in church service, it seems like an eternity. You're probably thinking, eternal life now? Yep. Feels like an eternity, Pastor. And all you hear from a preacher is, womp, 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 right? Is that how I sound to kids? Don't say yes. Don't say yes. Don't hurt my heart. And, um, but sometimes I know how it is as a kid. That's the way. It, and even adults feel that way sometimes. You're like, I don't know. I'm just my eyes are crossing, and I don't know what that guy is saying. And and the Bible's saying, now listen. Sometimes you're just gonna be tired. Sometimes it's okay. But he's saying, for the most part, don't treat the word of God. Don't treat the preaching of God's word. Don't treat when your parents are reading you the Bible. Don't don't treat when your spouse is reading the Bible with contempt. Don't don't mistreat it. But man, build your life upon the rock of the Scriptures. Amen. And so he says, man, don't. Don't treat prophecies. Don't despise prophecies. But now he says, but do test everything. Do test everything. What does it mean by that? He's saying, hey, sometimes just because a preacher says something or just maybe a worship leader says something or somebody prays something in the church doesn't mean it's divinely inspired. I, I am not divinely inspired. There's only one thing that is divinely inspired, ladies and gentlemen. It's the word of God. I'm a human being. I, I, I am not divine giving divine utterances and so if something i ever say something comes out of this pulpit something that somebody else from our church or you go to another church you need to test it by this right hey does this line up but he says but test everything test everything you hear a radio preacher you hear a tv preacher you love that radio and tv preacher that's great but test it against the word Test everything. And then it says, hold fast to what is good. Because sometimes you might hear a preacher and maybe 5% of what they said was good. And you can take that 5% home and maybe 95% you didn't understand. That's okay. Hold fast to what is good. As, as my grandpa used to say, um, 
eat the meat, spit out the bones. And uh, you just deal with that. And so, man, so, so we're flourishing in God's word and, and in his spirit. And then verse 22 rounds it out. And he says this in verse 22. It says, and abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. This is how we're to live with our eye on eternity every day. And so how could we sum it up again? I think it goes like this. The same way what Jesus said to, to, to the young man who wanted to know what was the most important commandment. If you didn't learn anything else, it's love God. Love God. Know that he's sovereign. Get your relationship right with him. He is sovereign. He's in control. Stay close to his word. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Learn how to love others. Bear their burdens. Help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. That's how you live with an eye on eternity. That's how you live eternal life now. I'm ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife, but I'm activating my faith. So what would your life, how would your life look differently if you did this in your home regularly? If you gave thanks in all circumstances? If you rejoiced always? Is there something in here that, that God has been working on you? Yes? No? Maybe so? How would your, your, your relationships look different? How would your spouse and your relationship with your spouse be different? Your children, your grandchildren, how would that look different? How would this church look different if we continue to navigate these lines, right? And we flourish with our eye on eternity. How are we going to do this, you say, Pastor? How, how can we do this? Man, some of you are like, I don't know, Pastor. These words are really tough. I think this is rejoice always. Like I might be working on that all of the rest of 2019, 2020, and 20. I might be working on the next five years, right, to rejoice always. Give thanks. Now, some of us have a negative personality. As soon as something happens, we just go negative, right? Oh, it's all done. It's I knew. See, I knew that would happen. I knew that would happen. See, I told you. And you got to learn how to switch that and give thanks in all circumstances, right? We could be working on that forever. But listen, how are we going to do it? We do it through the gospel, amen? We do it through empowered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We look to him, and as he works in us and changes us, because think about who did all this perfectly. Who did all this perfectly? Only Jesus, right? Jesus is the one we look to. He was a leader, right? And even though he was over us, oh man, aren't you grateful Jesus left heaven and came to dwell among us? That's what Christmas is all about. Is we had to, it's Emmanuel, God with us. He came as a leader, not to just be far off in heaven and say, figure out this life. I hope you do well. You ate from the garden. You ate from the, the tree, which I told you not to eat. I told you that would destroy you and your families and your lives and bring destruction upon this beautiful earth that I created. Now, here, just take that. Go sit in your room until you figure it out, and I'll come back one day. Jesus didn't do that. No, he left the throne of heaven. He came to live among us, and he solved the problem we created through our disobedience, man. And then community, who knows best? Who has encouraged you when you were faint-hearted? Who has challenged you perfectly when you were idle and lazy? Man, who has helped the weak? I know I'm weak. And who never repaid evil for evil? But Jesus. But on that cross, as people were crucifying him, Jesus didn't say, snap, and all of y'all are dead. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. Forgive the people that are crucifying me, for they know not what they do. Man, how perfect is Jesus? This is why we're here every week, right? Who trusted in God's plan better than all of us? It was Jesus. He came. He knew that he would have to die on the cross. He knew that he would have to be rejected by the Father, that all the sin of the world would be dumped on Jesus, all the nastiness and filth. I mean, as we think about all the things that have happened 
just in our news this week, and you think about the, the, the school shootings, you think about the various things that happen in and out and the horrific acts, Jesus wore all of that. He felt every ounce of pain, and he felt all the judgment God put upon him, just as we sung earlier, right? Man, my guilty soul can be counted free because the wrath of God was on Jesus. And so Jesus trusted in the sovereignty of God. In fact, in the garden, Jesus had said, Father, if there's another way, if there's another way, can we do this another way? But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus trusted in the sovereignty. And who is the living word? The Bible says Jesus is the living word. He is the living word. And man, what an, and so if we're going to navigate this life for the rest of eternity, thank you that we didn't get left alone. Amen. So we're going to have a time to respond. This is a time for you to pray, time for you to assess what God has been speaking to you, and then to not just sit on it, not sit on the promises of God, not stand on the promises of God, but to enact them. Amen. Right now, maybe if thankfulness is the thing you're working on, then just thank God right now. Maybe, maybe you're going to thank him while you're singing. Maybe you're going to take that bulletin and write out a list of things you're thankful for. Maybe it's rejoicing always. Maybe it's praying without ceasing. Maybe it's dealing with uh, others and helping uh, the weak. I don't know. But you respond to God. We'll be here at the front if you need us. Myself, some of the elders and deacons, we'd love to pray with you. You just need to pray by yourself. You can do that. But you respond to God however he's been speaking to you. And so let's pray, and then our worship team will come lead us. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, God. We thank you for the power of God that exists in the gospel for every believer, that we don't have to do life alone. God, that we don't have to struggle alone, but you came to dwell among us. God, thank you, Lord, that, that we don't have to wait till we die for eternal life, but we get to experience eternal life now. Having the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, Lord, we can have victory in our families. We can have victory in our relationships. We can have victory in our work. God, thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray for those here today, Lord. Maybe some of them, they're idle. And they needed to be challenged today, Lord. I pray that you would challenge them in the way that only your Holy Spirit can. Maybe some of us, Lord, we're just faint-hearted. We're, we just feel like we can't go on any longer. We've been discouraged and been depressed. Father, I pray they've been encouraged by the truths of God today. Maybe some of us here, we're just kind of weak in some areas and we need some help, God. I thank you that you're a helper. In fact, you sent us the helper, the Holy Spirit. So God, speak to us and help us to obey. And I know right now during church time, when we're gathered with believers, we're singing, we're praising, we're excited. It's easy to do it, but I want to pray for people on Monday. Because I know some of us, when we go to work, we feel like it's just impossible to live as a Christian. I know when some of us are with our family, we feel like it's impossible to live this way. So God, I pray that people would know that as we talked about the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that gets them excited in here on a Sunday can get them excited on a Monday. The same Holy Spirit that is at work in us here is at work on a Tuesday. To love our classmates, to respect our teachers, to respect those in authority. So God, we just ask for your help, Lord, that we would be pure, people who are led by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah.